Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I find it pretty alarming that we live in an era where the Phillies can put out a press statement that there's going to be a change to the Philly fanatic and everybody starts a news cycle about it and then 12 hours later they tweet out a picture of the change and it looks like nothing has changed I I didn't see the resulting tweet what what was it what what was the change supposed to be I don't I don't know it looks exactly the same <laughs> How are we supposed to just believe anything the Phillies say for the rest of the year now? Yeah. You know me. And I was also, believing everything that they were telling me before. And now this Philly fanatic thing has really pulled the facade back. Also, why are you changing the Philly fanatic? Maybe don't touch that. The Philly fanatic is a sacred institution, a part of the game. Maybe maybe don't change it. I think you could change the part where he shoots hot dogs at fans and interest them. <laughs> Although maybe no, that man. already got changed. Maybe these millennials should just stop looking at their phones. You know, if they were watching the game, they would see the hot dog coming. I shared with you the tweet announcing what they changed. First of all, it's two photos. They're from two separate angles. How am I supposed to tell what changed? Second of all, to me, it just looks like they changed the contrast on the photo. Like, it doesn't <laughs> look like anything else materially changed. Is he skinnier? Does he have more fingers? Does he have different fur? What's going on? You look like you're trying to watch the Zapruder film for the 700th time in a row. <laughs> uh, so I guess this change is a part of a lawsuit. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. Um, so the Phillies were sued by the creators of the... Uh, oh, I vaguely remember this. Yeah, of the creator of the Philly fanatic, or maybe the Phillies sued the creators. I don't really know, but basically they were like, "There's probably a suit and then a countersuit." Yeah, exactly. I'm and suing the, cre- the creators for suing the Phillies, but I'm you're also suing the Phillies for suing the creators. Exactly. And tipping I'm, pitches I'm is suing, suing just the city of Philadelphia. Tipping pitches for is being suing Alex Baisley. Alex Baisley right. is suing tipping pitches, and then I'm suing both of you guys personally. <laughs> I guess they basically just did these changes because, quote-unquote, changes because it looks the exact same. Because I, the the owners basically said, we stop using the Philly Fanatic. Our, it's our copyright. We own this. And the Phillies were like, no, it's ours. And then And now we're going to change it as a result because we can do that to make it more ours. Don't you think the copyright would be more centered around the name, you know? Like, not the the material used for the fur? <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. There's That's probably like, a bunch of knockoff Philly fanatics going around. Maybe, but if you use but different like, fur, you don't just get to call yourself the Philly fanatic. Yeah, oh, you're going to put the Philly fanatic's fur in the Hall of Fame. Like, it's part of the fabric of the sport. Honestly, they probably will do something stupid. Like I know that. they will. <laughs> Um, that is not the biggest news out of spring training 
so far, Alex. We're gonna that, was, that was that was my highlight. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't even know what changed. <laughs> um, we're gonna talk about some spring training stuff. We're gonna talk a little bit about some MLB streaming stuff. Um, and then later in the episode, we're gonna have an interview with uh, baseball prospectus and fan graphs writer Shakia Taylor. Um, but before we do all that fun stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Paisley. This is Tipping Pitches. Alex, spring training started. There is baseball back. I turned on my TV and watched the Oakland A's play baseball yesterday. I know. Oh my God. I tried to watch um, the Minnesota Twins versus the University of Minnesota, and it was only a radio broadcast. So I clicked play on the video, and then all of a sudden it was just a black screen with sound coming out. And I was like, this is still pretty good. Six out of 10. <laughs> Great stream. <laughs> The things that we will put ourselves through after an off season of no baseball. I'm so like, I opened up the app bad app and I was like, hell yeah, this app is so bad, but oh well. <laughs> I know. I know. MLB is like, how can we make this app worse in 2020? Whatever. Hell yeah. I, I get to like go back to instinctively just like opening it up. Like, I don't even care what the scores are here. I don't even care what's going on, but I just see teams. I just see games today. Yeah. Who was pitching in the A's spring training game? Uh, yesterday? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, AJ Puck pitched. King. Lou Trevino did something you could call pitching, although I wouldn't call it pitching. <laughs> yeah, he was not good. <laughs> I watched those highlights. Um, uh, so I asked because I can't remember the last time there were three lefty starters in a rotation, let alone three lefty starters who throw 95+. plus. Yeah. Are we all going to be okay watching the A's this year? This is going to be great. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> their rotation is so good how did it go from my team was the team with a shitty offense and a great rotation and now your team is the team with a pretty good offense still but the great rotation how did this happen yeah i dude you're asking the wrong person i don't know i'm just basking in i the feel like i'm asking the right person you're the one that knows <laughs> like the middle name of every a's prospect <laughs> um Moneyball, baby. That's Moneyball. Oh, God. You ruined it. All right, let's move on now. <laughs> um, We haven't gotten a chance to talk about really a lot of the stuff that's gone on with the Astros and all the quotes that have been coming out. The, the fuck yous back and forth between Cody Bellinger and Bragman and Altuve and Correa and <laughs> Aaron Judge, of all people, coming out and being like, I don't think they earned it. Didn't see that one coming. Aaron Judge, Mr. PR Perfect. But um, this is just here for the rest of the year. This is it. It's going to be at this fever pitch for the entire year. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And frankly, like the Astros have just, it's it's been fascinating to watch them just keep digging their hole. You know, like they keep stepping on the same shovel. No apology, first of all, really. Like Like, no. Yeah, literally. And then they come out and they're defiant about it. And they're saying, yeah, we earned that. Cody Bellinger can shut the fuck up. Like, he doesn't know the facts. And it's like, tell us the facts then, Carlos Correa. What what really happens? You can't sit here and be like, all these guys are liars. This is, this is fake. They don't know what they're talking about. And then just n- not tell us anything else. Like, the report stands. You did still cheat, right? Yeah. Well, I think they're... 
they're relying on their immunity, which has been a very controversial topic in the last few days. I don't know why. This is how this works. You get immunity and you tell a person in power the truth, right? Why is everybody so surprised by that? And why is everybody villainizing the union for it? I'm asking questions that I know the answer to at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this isn't like the fucking Teamsters in the 50s, like murdering people and being like, uh, we need immunity for the people who murdered people. Like, it's baseball, guys. We're whacking trash cans. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think the last thing that baseball wanted to do was punish the players in any form because that just that creates more of a shitstorm. And that's probably worse for your sport. But it's equally bad for your sport for players to just be like sniping at each other. And even even Mike Trout, who like the most controversial thing he says is that it rained in Newark today, coming out and saying that he lost respect for a bunch of those guys. That's ridiculous. Oh, my God. That's not what I wanted when I said I want players to express themselves more. This is, this is awful. Yes. What a, what a hellish reality we live in. Be careful what you wish for, I guess. Mike Trout <laughs> now has takes. Is it, weird? is it crazy that I don't think the players should be punished at all for this? Am I in the, am I in the minority? I, I, like, yeah, they cheated, okay? Plenty of people have cheated. I don't know. We're, we're going to go down a serious rabbit hole if I really flesh out how I feel about this, but... I think in a succinct way for me to say how I feel about this is that, yes, they cheated. Yes, Rob Manfred decided who he wanted to punish and who he didn't want to punish. And I just think that this net is too wide for you to really just start suspending players willy-nilly. And I do genuinely believe that that then becomes a union relations issue if you just start yes, suspending I, all the players. Like, it, what are we talking about here? You can't just suspend 40% of MLB because you suspect that they stole signs. Yes, no, I am in full agreement with you. I think part of it is like, that feels like, I think part of the problem is they didn't do anything else either. <laughs> yeah. And so well, it's also the all players, the Astros too. They've done a shitty job of being yeah. contrite. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm sick of talking about the Astros. This sucks, man. I'm pulling that, I'm pulling that audio cue and I'm just going to drop it into random episodes. I'm sick of talking about <laughs> the Astros. This sucks, man. I'm going to make a bumper every time we're talking about the Astros. And it's just going to be you, you saying do. that. <laughs> Okay, last thing before we get to the conversation with Shakia, which is fantastic, and we're very appreciative that she came on the show and talked to us for so long. Former guest of the show, Lindsay Adler, reported and wrote a story for The Athletic. Blue Jays, this is quoting from her tweet now, Blue Jays fans in Canada will no longer be able to watch the Blue Jays on MLB.tv. They'll have to purchase a Sportsnet streaming package. This means they'll have to pay for two streaming packages to see the Jays and other MLB teams. Alex, why doesn't Rob Manfred want people to watch baseball? <laughs> he just spent this entire se- this entire offseason seeing what happens when he has to talk about scandals when there's no baseball on, and now he's trying to make it harder for people to watch baseball. The thing that's going to put the scandal in the rear view. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't even have a profound this is take great on this. <laughs> I I genuinely like uh, this is I think when we talk about like how baseball markets itself this is something that I think like needs to be lumped into that conversation is just like accessibility to being able to like engage with the games 
in various ways because, you know, we talk about like marketing and advertising and commercials, but also like just how easy is it to turn on your TV and watch a baseball game? And the harder it gets, the more you're going to drive away fans. Yeah. And that's just like the fact of the matter. Don't you feel like baseball? I don't know. I feel like baseball should be the first sport that, it, and it's it's actually the sport that's farthest away from doing this, but baseball feels culturally like the first sport that you should be able to just like stream on Netflix because there's so much content. There's so yeah. many games that feels like the perfect buy for Netflix, not to get all like TV streaming media nerd on us real quick, but it's the sort of like it aligns with their them and like Hulu and whatever it aligns with their content model in terms of just having stuff on all the time and incentivizing people to just turn your product on and leave it on in the background while they do other shit. Baseball could be like friends for people, you know, how people always just stream friends when they come home and while they cook dinner, like that should just be baseball and it should be digitally integrated much better. And it's not. And, and I know MLB TV was kind of like the landmark, you know, in terms of advanced, the advanced media program, MLB advanced media that, really made streaming and everything easier for a lot of leagues. But now it just feels like they were like, all right, let's wipe our hands of this and walk away. Let's not try to get more people to watch this. And now, with what Lindsay is reporting, it feels like they're trying to get less people to watch this. I mean, it doesn't... I mean, I'm just going to stream it on Reddit. Not going to lie. Rob, if you're listening, Reddit. Reddit streams, Rob. But for all of the people who don't use Reddit or who think it's weird to click a scary link that might give their computer a virus, it's like, I just want to watch the game, you know? I stopped listening after you said baseball is just friends, and now I'm thinking about who the Chandler of baseball is. I'm sorry. Joy, it's Joey Votto. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, the last thing I'll say on this, actually, is this goes hand-in-hand hand with one other thing I wanted to talk about, which is that the A's are no longer broadcasting their games on, like, just traditional radio anymore. It's going to be through um, a dedicated stream on TuneIn, which is just this app that you can download and listen to radio stations on your phone. Um, but it's really interesting to see how teams are kind of approaching or backing away from the, uh, I don't know, the streaming age. And... I, I, the radio thing is a is a whole other can of worms because I feel like listening to radio is so tied up with like nostalgia. Um, but like you were talking about, it's baseball is the perfect sport to like just have on in the background, and baseball and Major League Baseball should be looking for more ways to like let fans do that. People dunk on me when I say that, but then they also commend Netflix for continuing to pay for Friends as hundreds of millions of dollars, as hundreds of millions of people watch it every month. You know, like. People are, I'm like, baseball is a great background sport. Baseball is an awesome second screen experience. Baseball is a is something that you can watch as intensely or as non-intensely as you want. And I'm like, isn't that just how every other piece of content is now? Isn't that what podcasts are? Isn't that what rate isn't that what drive time radio is? Isn't that what Jeopardy is? You know, now Jeopardy, like game shows and stuff are being put on streaming platforms. Like, it's not that it's not that weird for me to think that. Baseball is good yeah. in the background, or if you care a lot, in the foreground. <laughs> what are we talking about here? It can do everything. It's a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm losing my mind, but 
should we uh, should we get to our conversation with Shakia? We should. So, so for this segment in this conversation, we uh, we saw Shakia tweeting about a month ago or two months ago about a book that came out in 2007. It's called uh, it's called After Jackie: Pride, Prejudice, and Baseball's Forgotten Heroes and Oral History. It's written by Cal Fussman. Um, it's basically it's a it's a book about it's a short easy read it's a really good read I really recommend it it's a book about just the the black players that reintegrated baseball and came over from the Negro leagues right after Jackie Robinson and sort of during that same timeline that Jackie Robinson was in Major League Baseball it's about their experiences it's about some of the stuff that they had to go through that we don't talk a lot about because we just like to think of Jackie Robinson as this trailblazer so um, we just jump right into it with Shakia. Um, so I, I hope you enjoy our conversation. We really enjoyed talking to her and we're really thankful that she came on and talked about that book and recommended it in general. We hope to have her on in the future to talk about less serious things such as solving racism in baseball in the United States. But, um, Shakia is a great writer. You can find her writing at places like Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs and SB Nation. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at Curly Fro which you should do because she's a great Twitter follow. Um, and yeah, she tweets out all the stuff she writes there. So without further ado, let's go to our conversation with Shakia. So lucky to be joined by Shakia Taylor today. Shakia, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, about a about a month ago, I would say we we saw you tweeting, as we do a <laughs> lot. We love when we see people tweeting. Good stuff. Um, we saw you tweeting about a book called After Jackie with our friend Bradford Davis, um, and you know you were recommending it, and neither Alex nor I had read it, so um, we thought we would read it and then have you come on and talk a little bit about what is on the book so for the listener we've never really talked much about (laughs) the old medium of books (laughs) books on on this (laughs) podcast here but that's what we're about to do for a little bit um so we're hoping that that's cool so i I just wanted to start kind of asking you about you know going back and reading it a second time and i was reading it for the first time um it's it it talks a lot about this idea of like the trailblazer you know the the glorified idea of the first person to do something and, and how much that really meant in the era. And I'm wondering if we sort of have lost touch with this idea and, and what are some of the negative consequences of this idea uh, in your mind? Well, I think what we find with people, particularly people in this exact situation, is a lot of Black players didn't want to be trailblazers. Do you know what I mean? They didn't. They weren't comfortable in that position. The spotlight is on you. The criticism is on you. You have to be great in order to just even be accepted. And I think, well, first in 2020, we should be beyond someone being the first something, but we aren't. And that's really sad. And um, But the idea of a trailblazer, just in this book specifically, it was you got to see the side of someone who was really grateful to be where they were, but also really sad that they had to be in the position they're in. And I don't think we ever account for trailblazers having to actually go through struggles. 
it, it brought to mind just kind of at the end when I was sort of finishing up the book, just thinking about how, you know, the Alyssa Nakin news broke and she's the first female coach to be um, on a, be the coach of a major league team. And, and you're just thinking about how quickly that story kind of came and went and how we like don't feel totally equipped to have that conversation anymore because as a sports community, we think of ourselves as having moved past having to do the trailblazer thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's because we're in the era of patting ourselves on the back um, for the most minimal thing. And it's funny how progress has sort of stalled because of it. Like, we're like, oh, great. There's a woman. Hooray. But that also is a side effect of how little women's sports are covered and how little women's impact on sports in general is discussed. I mean, we always refer to sports as different, right? Like there'll be, you know, college basketball and then women's college basketball. So (laughs) I think that those two things sort of play a big part in why we didn't, why we didn't focus on her. But I also think there was so much negative on those tweets about that story that I could not understand it. I really couldn't understand anyone being bothered by this. (laughs) (laughs) I can't think of the mindset of a person who is like, oh, let me be angry about this woman doing something really cool. Yeah, it's absolutely mind boggling. Like what? Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't (laughs) it doesn't impact your enjoyment of the sport at all. Right. The sport itself doesn't change. Yeah. It's just a person who happens to be there with a skill, which if more people just viewed women as somebody else who has the same skills, maybe, you know, we wouldn't have to even have this conversation. It is. I cannot understand how we're still having the same conversations that many of our grandparents were having. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty uh, mind boggling, honestly. yeah, I, Carl Crawford had a quote um, in ESPN, the magazine, a, a while back where he was basically saying, you know, like, we have a joke um, between ourselves uh, that if you're not an all-star, you can't be black in the major leagues. And it just made me kind of think about that idea of, like, um, stardom and and the need for when there's, like, a, a black player or a, a woman coach or executive or whatever it is there's this um, feeling that you have to be like the greatest, right? Like you really have to like elevate your game and, and rise above all the other mediocre people if you want to like get noticed. And it really is just like you're saying, like it's something that has, we've been dealing with for decades at this point. Oh yeah. The idea that in order for a black person, a person of color to be noticed that we have to be excellent, it applies across all areas of life. Yeah. I mean, I will admit that even I sometimes struggle with it, you know, in writing. It is really difficult to feel like you can't make a mistake, that you're not allowed the range of full humanity, which is to not have a good day. Um, Bringing it back to baseball specifically, it's funny how people always point out when you know, a black player isn't doing so great. A a good example of that is David Price, right? Right. He struggled for a bit and people railed on him. 
And it made me cheer for him even more because it's like, he's actually not worse than the worst pitcher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But, but because he had sort of settled into being sort of middle of the road, if you will, or top of the middle of the road, people were very angry by this and I could not understand it. So I think that also, that mindset has an effect on fans of the game. We root a little harder for those players and we stick behind them a little stronger. You know, so a thing that sort of goes along with this is Dusty Baker. And people, I think there are some justifiable criticisms of Dusty as a manager, right? Like, you can absolutely make an argument that maybe he's not great at decision-making when it really matters. But then it's like, Dusty's a Black manager who gets put in the worst positions and he isn't exactly set up to succeed. So those two things bump against each other. Like, I want the guy to succeed, but I also have to readily admit that he doesn't make the best decisions. And it's it's just a part of that whole black people have to be really, really good in order to sort of survive in baseball. Yeah. Oh, the the number of mediocre to awful coaches, white coaches in baseball. It's like 80%. Second and third and fourth and fifth chance. Why is Gabe Kapler employed <laughs> by a baseball team at this point? You I mean, don't yeah. even have to ask that question beyond why is Gabe Kepler? Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, why am I still reading weird Gabe Kapler quotes about how he eats stuff and chews stuff up and then throws it back out? I don't I don't want any of that in my life. Oh my god, I haven't read that. That is the, I don't oh, yeah. Read it. I don't want to read it. <laughs> Wait, there are two different ones, right, Alex? Yeah, well there's there's yeah, there's one where like he would eat ice cream and I'm then so spit sorry, it back we have out to tell you this. because he liked <laughs> the taste of it. And then, and then peeling like the the skin off chicken nuggets because he thought that would be healthier, and eating like fifty of them that way. Yeah. Uh, God, you can't see my face right now, <laughs> but it's really scrunched up. It's like I'm squinting, and it's the face of someone who just cannot understand. <laughs> it, it really is like one line of code went wrong in the AI behavior out of this guy. You know, like he's a he's a complete robot. Um, <laughs> but it's okay for him to be weird and quirky, right? Like yeah. that is just a hot mess. Well, so while reading the book, you know, like the book is sort of it's an oral history style of um, all of the players who came right after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, right? And I, I was sort of shocked—not shocked, I guess I should should know better, but just how resonant it feels with today, some of the things that were brought up. And one of those things specifically is like this idea of coded language. And, you know, we're sort of alluding to it now and how how managers and how someone like David Price, how Dusty Baker and how someone like David Price get talked about. But I couldn't help but notice that like a lot of the coded language, the foundation for it was laid back then and now it persists. And we're dealing with a sport that has this sort of, you know, generational trauma in it. You know, whether that be like, they talked in the book about how Don Newcomb loses one game in the World Series and he's thought of as not clutch despite winning 27 games. And as someone who engages with some of these ideas in your writing, um, do, you, do you see like any of that coded language 
shifting? And if not, how can it? Because it seems like we've sort of gotten to a point where um, it's just certain people in broadcast booths and on the internet using that language and the rest of us telling them that this is stupid that they're using that language and we haven't really systematically changed the way that we talk about players, players of color specifically. Oh, that's an interesting question. So I think one of the things that everyone needs to consider is the content, the things that happened in the book after Jackie, it really wasn't that long ago. Like that is one of the main barriers to affecting any kind of change with regard to this is no, this wasn't that long ago. This was within the last 70 years. My grandmother is in her nineties. So she has pretty much seen this continuously for almost a century. And once people move past that, like, okay, this really wasn't that long ago. Civil rights movement, well, the main part that we talk about, it wasn't that long ago. None of this was that long ago. Our grandparents were, depending on, you know, where you're from and maybe what your grandparents believed at one point, were on one side of or the other of this. It wasn't so long ago. And as far as language goes, oh my gosh, I am constantly talking about how the language that we use mm-hmm. to describe certain players is we don't we're not conscious of it we're not aware of it i was recently reading a chapter in a book um called when baseball isn't white straight or male and it was called Barry Bonds and the search for dap mm-hmm. and this writer talked about how um baseball writers the language they used to discuss him contributed to his image. It's not absolving him of being a terrible person or a rude person or extremely arrogant. It's just saying it didn't help. Right. And I think about it whenever I see the way players are described, even physically, people don't consciously think like I shouldn't, compare these players to animals in description but they do right like we think it's real cool to call people a beast because it's become casual but when you start referring to people as like he's such a stud like think about that language and where it originated and and maybe not maybe don't do it maybe don't say it um when we refer to players of color um, with aggressive language, we're just adding to something that's been there for so long. And I think, I don't think it's always intentional, right? Like, I don't think people are 100% conscious that what they're saying is coded language. But I do think we should all be a little more conscious of it. Just in the current state of like society right now, we're all supposed to be actively learning how to treat people better, actively learning how to treat people as humans. And a big part of that is the language we use. Yeah. It it feels like a really, it's especially uh, magnified, I think in an arena like sports where it feels very much like it's this kind of entertainment aspect. Like we're not interacting with these players at all. And so it's very easy to like, divorce the the humanity of them with just the idea that like these are 
like stars who are just performing for us and we don't have to like think about them at the end of the day or whatever. And so when you just say like, oh, like Byron Buxton, like he's an animal on the bases. Oh, look at him running like a gazelle or something like that. Um, you just, it very much like, not only is it, you know, dehumanizing, but it like really flattens their abilities into just like this, this one thing and like removes the idea that this is someone who has like thoughts and feelings and emotions and gets upset when, you know, he strikes out or whatever. Um, It's, and yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a lack of understanding uh, among fans. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I I wanted to ask um, something that this book made me think a lot about is the idea of, how does baseball handle mental health? Is it doing a good job? There's been sort of a push for talking more about mental health in the NBA in the last couple of years. Um, a lot of people writing articles in places like the Players Tribune and things like that. But, um, you know, you mentioned, Shakia, that we're only 60 or so years from the events of this book, which which means that there are still a lot of very real fallout from this. So, I mean thinking about something like playing in front of 45,000 fans at a time, like that takes a toll, whether you're cheered on or whether you're booed or whatever it might be, just the, the amount of drain that it puts on these people. And I don't know from, from your perspective. And I don't feel like doing, I don't feel like MLB is doing a very good job um, when it comes to foregrounding mental health. Shakia, from your perspective, do you think that they're doing a good, bad job? Do you, do you see it getting better or worse at all? Um, I think MLB is doing bad at most things, just being honest. <laughs> so we can just any question, I'll probably say they're doing bad. But I think in this age of players actively coming out and saying how they feel mentally and emotionally and talking about things that affect them, I do think it's definitely time for MLB to do some self-examination. Ben Gordon, basketball player for the non-basketball people, um, he recently wrote about his struggles with mental health for the Players' Tribune, and it was deep. It was gut-wrenching. It was very, very raw. And I applaud him for having the courage to do that because he definitely just saved someone's life. And in sports, I don't think we as fans even consider, you know, these are these are people and that's a lot of pressure to constantly have to perform at the highest level for what nine months out of the year. You are constantly being scrutinized for every little thing. Like think about how players are talked about when they make a mistake. And then add social media to that where We have people adding players, adding players' families, and bringing up people's children. So I think MLB could actively take a more public role when it comes to just discussing mental health. And, I mean, people think that going to a therapist, it just means something is wrong with you, when that's not true. And any league, any sports league could help get in front of this you know, idea that seeking help is bad. 
they could actively do something and it would affect millions of people. People take their cues from the people they like and the sports they watch. Sometimes I really hate to admit it, but sports are just mirroring what's happening in the world. It, everything that's happening in your favorite sports league is exactly what's happening in the world. There is no difference. There is no separating real life from this. They kind of merge together. And if, you know, the commissioner and other people involved in any position of power started to consider their impact socially, maybe this would get better. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like, it feels like just the first step in a long line of things that sports and entertainment needs to to do to really make strides yeah. to actually like caring about the, these people that make them. And, and it's like, these are humans who feed into this like billion dollar industry. Like, so like even, even from a like business minded, like capitalist perspective, like you want, you want these people to like feel okay at the end of the day, right. like, like these are the people who are making you your millions upon millions of dollars. And the, and it, I mean, it goes to a thing, it goes back to the idea of like minor league pay, right? And like minor leaguers deserve to be paid living wages because they're humans and everyone deserves that. And but they're also, working a job. It's a job. Yeah, yeah, literally. But also like you want them to actually feel like healthy and be living a happy life because they're going to then do their job better. I, it's, it feels so backward to me. That's because being a billionaire makes no sense <laughs> from yes. just the human standpoint. Yes. Like, it makes <laughs> no sense. And it's interesting. Have you ever thought about how difficult it is to shame them? I mean, people sit at their computers <laughs> And some people get paid to do it and they trash them all day. I say this as a Cleveland baseball fan who constantly rails on the team, <laughs> like constantly rails on the organization and the ownership because I'm like, can we shame them into being less awful? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's like a been a big through line of our show is that you know, we wonder what parts of the brain just atrophy when you're a baseball owner because you're a billionaire <laughs> and, and why they don't seem to be operating in the same world that we're operating. I mean, the, the Astros scandal is an example of many things, but it's a perfect example of this and how it's mirroring the real world and and these people in their their bubbles of influence and power and money and capitalism, frankly. Um They don't respond to things in the same way that we do. They're not existing in the same world. Like, you, you wouldn't... You wouldn't do what they're doing if you felt that way, you know? At some point, I'm going to answer this question in a weird way, right? <laughs> At some point, I think your brain does kind of shift when you're that wealthy because you face no consequences for anything. Right. Your money as it sits just continues to make money. So... Whether or not this team is functioning at a high level, you really don't care. It's like one foot in, one foot out, because that's the idea of being that wealthy. Your money makes money for you. You can spend it however you want or not spend it and look foolish, but you don't care because it doesn't matter. I I think about this frequently because, well, Frankie Lindor, 
give him the entire city of Cleveland for all I care. You know <laughs> yeah, what I give mean? Give him a like, 10% what? ownership stake or something. Give him the Browns, whatever. <laughs> and because they're not doing anything yet and talking about, oh, we're so, we, we need to save. What are you saving? What are you saving? Like you have the one team that anyone wants to come to Cleveland to see, myself included, and you it, it's like something shuts off. I'm telling you, there is a thing in your mind that when you become a billionaire that turns you into Montgomery Burns. Like nothing makes sense. <laughs> uh to our listeners who are following along at home, uh you can cross off railing against billionaires on your tipping pitches bingo, bingo card. card. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to contribute to the brand. <laughs> <laughs> um I I wanted to kind of ask you about the the histories that have been lost over the over the decades, the histories of like black baseball players because things like just looking at the the long like baseball has been around for more than a century and for almost all of it it has been incredibly white right and this idea that there was like the the baseball league and then there were the negro leagues that would like feed into that and i just think it's really interesting looking back and and reading about a lot of these incredible players like mini minoso um or uh, hank thompson or larry doby or whoever it is um and i think that your average baseball fan today has no recollection or no sense of who these stars are just because so much of that history has been paved over and and washed away and it feels like when like when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier it was like okay like everything is everything is solved baseball is baseball is equal baseball is normal and then you don't have you can ignore the the next 100 black stars that come through um and i just wonder about your perspective on like the impact that has on um, on fans, especially like young kids who might be interested in in playing baseball, and you look back and the biggest stars of all time are Babe Ruth and Ted Williams and Stan Musial, and there's no I feel like guys like Hank Aaron and Vita Blue just kind of get like pushed off to the side. Um, I don't know. Do you? What is your kind of perspective on that those those lost histories and how baseball can reclaim them so one of the things that drives me for anyone who's read anything i've written um and you know i got accused of having an agenda so maybe i do but <laughs> what, what does that mean about... all writers have agendas they want to write about something and say something <laughs> Well, I apparently have an agenda. Um, that was one of my favorite comments early on. But um, it's that I like to write about these stories. I do believe the idea that um, my ninth grade history teacher um, used to always repeat what history doesn't learn from history is that history doesn't learn from history. Hmm. And at 14 that like blew my mind like oh my god he's right like <laughs> people really don't learn from history and that's because we're always given a sanitized version of it later you know if you didn't live it you don't really know anything beyond what you were told and then you have to go digging and i think that's happened a lot with baseball history is 
we've gotten the sanitized version because racism is so ugly and awful and it is a stain. Why do we want to talk about it? Like that is where most baseball fans are with it. Oh, let's not talk about it. It's over. We're past that. No, 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 we're not past it in any way, in any way. (laughs) And, And it's, it's, it's sad, but like I said on, I actually tweeted this the other day and somebody just responded with K, but <laughs> a lot of black history in baseball has been whitewashed. You don't really hear people talking about Jackie Robinson's activism. You don't hear people talking about, you know, his contributions to black America beyond reintegrating baseball. He started a bank for black people so that they could get mortgages. Um, He actively raised money to bail Martin Luther King Jr. out. It's so interesting how we don't talk about these things. We don't talk about this version of Jackie. We talk about this guy who came up and white people viewed him as acceptable because he was college educated and married and presented the idea of this you know, respectable Negro that people really wanted to see. Um, Because in the book, I don't know if you guys really picked up on that, but that was pretty much what we were being told by a lot of other players. Like, it wasn't that Jackie wasn't good. It was that he he was palatable for white fans, right? Like, oh, he looks like a good guy. He's exactly what racists think Black people should be to be acceptable. And that history is continued. Everyone talks about, you know, he was he 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 took a lot and people hurled racism at him and he was so strong. And it's like, eh, he definitely hated that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he had a lot of really sour feelings. And that's just continued with anything, with any black players, with any, you know, players of color. Um, we don't talk about them in the human form. We don't talk about them as activists, as you know, people who are doing things for their communities outside of the sport. We talk about them in this, they are gods of the game sort of way. And I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. You, uh, you tweeted out an article the the other day from the undefeated about um, Jackie Robinson's ongoing dialogue with Malcolm X. And I found that really, that piece really fascinating because um, I, it just opened up this whole new world about how he was consistently engaging with these ideas you know and it's not and it's not something that is ever talked about and like how he aligned himself with martin luther king jr and potentially inspired those ideas and yeah like you were saying like was was very much rooted in this sort of activism outside of the baseball sphere Mm um and yeah i and, and you don't hear about it. You don't hear about any of it. Well, yeah, this feels like a good time to talk about Jackie Robinson Day. <laughs> um, because, you know, that that idea of like the sanitized version of someone and the sanitized version of history is there's it's not more present anywhere besides Jackie Robinson Day. You know, he we have this one day and we think about what he did and and we think about it for 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, most of the announcers and and most of the players only have time to talk about how it must have been so hard for him to come up and to turn the other cheek when he got angry and all that that all that type of stuff and i i just feel like the the one day aspect of it is the the perfect signifier of how baseball really feels towards that element of its history i agree 100% 
I often complain about Jackie Robinson Day. And I know that the common argument is, well, you know, his family participates and whatever. And that's all well and good, but that doesn't mean that this is enough, right? Like just because someone's family is cool with you doing something doesn't mean that that's enough. And what I have repeatedly harped on, and I will do it again this year, is Jackie Robinson Day isn't MLB celebrating Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson Day is MLB celebrating itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. Look what we did. Aren't we so great? That's all it is. It is MLB constantly patting itself on the back. There are no you know, big social justice conversations. There are no big civil rights conversations. It's just, let's pay tribute to the guy. When MLB has Kurt Flood Day, then then we can talk. Or, hey, Roberto Clemente or Larry Doby, right? There are so many players who MLB could and should add to the celebrations. It should be a season-long thing. Like, this season is the centennial for the Negro Leagues. I've been looking diligently for the last few months trying to keep up with what teams are going to do. And it's not really going to be much as of right now. And I find that to be extremely curious. (laughs) (laughs) um, You really only have to do the bare minimum and you're refusing to do even that. Um, MLB acknowledging the centennial in a larger way. I mean, I know, you know, the league and the players association recently made a donation to the museum, but I didn't even think that was enough. I was like, only a million dollars. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's really sad. Jackie Robinson Day, to me, is not a celebration of Jackie Robinson, the Robinson family, any players of color to come after him. It's just MLB, once again, finding a way to make money off of something they feel good about. Yeah, well, the the centennial is sort of an interesting flashpoint for for the idea that MLB, them giving a million dollars to the museum when, you know, the events in this book detail how MLB basically put the Negro Leagues out of business and the fact that baseball was integrated meant that the best players from those leagues were then be being part of MLB farm systems and getting paid little wages to go play in small towns and then get called up to to teams like the the Giants and the Cardinals and the Dodgers and the the fallout of that is that the Negro Leagues they can't make as much money as they used to because the crowds want to go see the they want to go see black players being integrated into baseball. And if you don't take an active role in sort of, you know, financially supporting the communities that these players are coming from, then what you did was you kind of just stole the money away from them. And now 55 years later, you're giving a million dollars back to the museum. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like baseball has ever really reckoned with that idea. And Jackie Robinson Day is like like we talked about, sort of a sanitized version of that. Where, yes, he he had this monumental moment, but you know he wasn't the only black player at the time, and he wasn't the only good black player. And in this book, he's not even the best black player. So right. <laughs> um, I think what we should take away from all of this is that reintegration was just shady business. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I so mean, really, crazy. yeah. It was so shady. They weren't even, and I'm sure most, you know, hardcore baseball fans know about Effa Manley actually 
getting paid for Larry Doby's contract. Um, but she had to fight and argue and, you know, get called all kinds of names for being a serious business person about it. But there were so many other players who there was, there was no pay for their contracts. There was no MLB just took them in a very shady way. You know, like there was no honor amongst the businessmen, which isn't surprising. Right. Um, it's, it's so, (laughs) it's just, I don't know. History is just continuously going the same way. <laughs> it's it may be slower, it may be harder to point out, but it's still the same shady stuff. Um Jackie Robinson once wrote an op-ed on the shadiness of like contracts in the Negro Leagues, right? And how players were treated and how players were paid and the buses being terrible and the train rides being terrible. And this is all the same things that we're talking about with the minor leagues today. It's all the same thing. It's just been shady business for decades. Yeah. And with the international facilities as well, too. Oh, man. (laughs) That's a whole different can of worms, you know? Yeah. I think that it's really, it's tough to swallow because I think MLB and a lot of fans want to have it both ways where it's like, well, we can celebrate um, someone like Jackie Robinson or the concept of the Negro Leagues, but also you have to really work to earn your spot. And, you know, you're not just going to be like celebrated or put on a pedestal for the, for the merits of, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing. Like when you, when you talk about like Alyssa Nackin, um, People are like, well, the the reason that there aren't women in baseball is just because they, you know, like every every team would would hire women if they, you know, worked hard enough and and did what they could to like put themselves in that position, right? And so you want to like applaud yourself for integrating the sport, um, but also but also say, well, you know, the reason there aren't many black players is because they're just like aren't they just don't really want to play or they aren't, you know, working hard enough to like get up to that level. And it's like, no, they're very strict like structures that have been in place since like the, the early 20th century that are the very reason why this pool of players is not bigger. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, playing baseball as a child now is expensive. People love to say that, Oh, you just need a bat and a ball and a glove. No, no, no. You need money for a uniform. You need a coach. You need money to travel. And what has happened is, you know, there's this idea that and that baseball is accessible and it's not. It's extremely inaccessible. It's even inaccessible for women and girls. That is why, you know, organizations like Baseball for All exist because we're still having the same problems with access to the sport. Um, I've written about this and I'm clearly getting irritated. (laughs) Like it's just so upsetting. Like this makes no sense. And everything that the league says that they're doing to try to affect change is not happening for real. You know, like, Oh, there's been a decline in, you know, black American pitchers and catchers. And oh, so we'll start the dream series. Okay. But is it, is it working? Um, And also the way 
international players are paid so little also affects the idea of black American players coming to the league because they are like, we can get away with paying these guys less. It's just this ever looping, I don't know, systemic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you about that article that, that you wrote recently about this very idea about little leagues and accessibility for, um, for young kids of color um, and the RBI program and that kind of thing. And and the dream program, Um, Alex and I have flirted with the idea of doing a deep dive into little league and talking about some of the forces that keep certain people out of being able to play and how there are only, you know, one or two or three little leagues in gigantic cities and, um, and how the resources are completely underdeveloped in those places. I, I'm wondering, as someone who thinks about this and writes about this and clearly cares about this, um, how do we make it better? Because, um, you you know, you you wrote, a, you wrote to your local representative asking how you can make it better. And, you know, obviously there are Little Leagues who have things like GoFundMe and, and places that you can donate to your local Little League, but it doesn't feel like that necessarily is what's going to make a, a nationwide um, impact on this sort of thing. So um, how do you, how do you see us coming back from this, I guess? So this is one of those problems where it absolutely is helpful to throw money at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, money um, buys gloves, money buys bats, you know? Right. It is absolutely a good thing to throw money at it. But I think what people have to get away from is this idea of it being distant. You know, like, oh, I'm going to find a team online and send them money. No, maybe connect with a team in your community. Maybe connect with a team that's not in your community, but is in your city of kids who need it. Right. Kids who need the money, need the mentorship. Um, I know that a lot of teams in the league, they give money in their communities or they build ballparks or whatever. But these are one time donations or you know lump sum kind of things and maybe it needs to be more frequent maybe we need more community-based um programs to help and a lot of it is parents can't afford it but then parents can't take off work to drive their kids there so we need people to volunteer for these things and some of the interest in baseball has obviously declined from underrepresented communities because just look at how few players they have to look up to. And then the ones they do have to look up to, they don't really hear about. I think baseball is terrible at marketing itself. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely just, it doesn't make sense. You have all these players with all this fantastic personality and these big smiles and they look like the very people you want to want to like the sport. And yet you're constantly forcing the same bland people at us, you know, no shade to Mike Trout, but he's kind of boring. Um, (laughs) And he's a fantastic baseball player, but he's already told us he doesn't want to be the guy. Like he doesn't want to be on your box of cereal. He just wants to play the game and talk about the weather. Let's let him have that. And you have these players like Javier Baez, and Frankie Lindor, and even your Aaron Judge, who I feel like, yeah, we talk about him, but maybe not enough. 
um, in the right way, I should say, in the right context, because I'm never going to say talk too much about Yankees. Um, <laughs> and they just have all this capital and they don't use it. And then when kids see like baseball sort of appropriating black culture, it, it's a turnoff. I can't see my players, but you're using my language, you're using my music, and this doesn't make sense. There's a massive disconnect between Major League Baseball and the community. And I think as fans, we can contribute to it, but financially, give money to a team of kids who maybe don't have enough money for bats. Um, I was actually thinking about personally maybe paying for the registration for one kid. It doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a breather for a family, whatever that registration is. It could be 40 bucks, but um, I'm strongly considering doing it and I would encourage other people to do so. It just feels so like I wish Curtis Granderson was commissioner of baseball, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's aside from the fact that I love Curtis Granderson, he's someone who is doing what we're talking about. He's investing in cities. He's investing in the communities where he grew up in and he's talking about it at every opportunity that he gets. And this idea that young people need to play the game for the game to succeed in the future is feels pretty obvious to me, but I don't hear I don't hear our commissioner talking about that. I don't hear Rob Manfred talking about that. I hear Adam Silver talking about that in the NBA. I hear him talking about how international players and young kids being able to play basketball is really important. Um, but I, I don't see Rob Manfred being like, it matters to me that more people are playing baseball in um, Chicago or Cleveland or Philadelphia or Oakland or wherever it might be. I've never heard him say that. That quote has never come across my desk. And I, maybe I'm missing that because nobody on my Twitter feed likes Rob Manfred, but I, I don't feel like he's been talking a lot about that, right? That's because they want to grow the game, but they want to grow the game financially <laughs> and not with human beings, right? Like, right. And it's funny because you would think if they weren't so short-sighted, they would see that if you want more money, you would want more fans because more fans means more people paying to see your product. You might think and, that. One might think. <laughs> and, you know, I say this and people are going to yell at me, but baseball is boring. Like, it's enjoyable to a certain set of the population. But for a lot of people, it's boring. It's long. It feels tedious. So growing the game means making it interesting and giving people things to see. And the stuff that they're doing is not actively helping their cause which i'm not surprised because as we've already stated billionaires think in reverse um (laughs) it's ridiculous there's so many so many kids who would be more interested um i actually was talking about the jackie robinson west kids recently because i was like where are they now a thing like that would you would think discourage those boys from playing baseball right no no, they're all still really good. <laughs> they're all still really good and still doing things with themselves and still playing baseball at high levels. But we're not talking about them. Why aren't we talking about them? Why don't? Why isn't that story being covered? I'm so sick of talking about the Astros. Like, everyone thinks it sucks, except people from Houston. 
Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Most distilled version of that conversation I could imagine. <laughs> like, you could be talking about those guys. These guys are the future of the game. You Well, hopefully they will be. Um, we could be talking about, look at what's happening in Seattle right now. These are all things that would help grow the game, that would help bring in interest from black American kids and, you know, other kids of color in the U.S. They would be interested if there was an investment in them. Yeah, well, and also if they they saw that, like, baseball was a place where they felt like maybe they could actually express themselves. And, you know, we talk about, like, coded language and just the way that we keep players from basically keep players from being themselves and actually like showing personality something as simple i mean we talk all the time on this podcast about bat flips and there should be more bat flips but so many announcers in the booth are not fond of that sort of thing and when you talk about someone like ronald acuna and you and you say oh he's just kind of he's a show off he he's got too many like chains around his neck or whatever i'm like these are like very specific words that you're using mm-hmm. to describe this player and and someone watching that is going to sit there and be like, well, this is a, if this is a sport where like, I can't showboat a little bit, I can't huff my chest or, or, you know, take a slow trot around the bases. Like, like, why would I do that sort of thing? Like when basketball, for example, is a sport that I think is really great at, um, at letting players just like be their fullest selves, right. Both on and off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a there's ways to go. That's yeah. for sure. Well, well, it's not lost on me that that nobody sprinted out this offseason to sign Yasiel Puig, right? Yeah, a lot of teams could get better with him. I'm just saying he's an above average dude. But like, you know, the example of like he's not the the quote unquote consummate professional, and suddenly like nobody wants to employ him. You know, it, it's February 23rd as we record this podcast, and Yasiel Puig doesn't have a team. Like, I'd take him on my team. Well, there's a lot of enthusiasm stifling, right? Like, oh, my God, how dare you have fun? What in the world kind of mindset is that? Like, we hate fun. (laughs) Stop having fun. (laughs) What an enjoyable way to watch baseball. (laughs) Why are you having a good time? No, stop it right now. You're going to make people angry. Like, why is that <laughs> okay? And <laughs> I just don't understand it. Now, I have said to friends that, you know, and that Yasiel Pui gets on my nerves, but like, I don't think that he shouldn't have a team. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think that people should be stifling him. It's, it's absurd. And then when you look at how, you know, we'll say, you know, certain players are like, um, how dare you, uh, get excited because you hit a homer off me. Sabra, you're a professional pitcher. You are one of the best in the best. You damn right. I'm going to pimp this bad boy and you're not going to do anything about it except maybe strike me out next time. Like the audacity of being so offended because you sucked for a moment. Like It is your fault that that guy behaved that way. If you don't want anyone to showboat on you, don't give him an opportunity. And 
Look at how much people love the World Baseball Classic. I love it so much that I keep trying to say that I'm going to go. I have it on my spirit that I'm going to go. (laughs) Speaking into existence. Like, I am going to go. And I don't care if people want me to go and cover a story, because I'll probably say no. Because I want to go and just absorb that environment. It looks like so much fun. Meanwhile, at the games I go to, which... I live in Chicago, so most of the time I'm either at a Cubs game or a Sox game, and I'm always sitting in front of some guy who's talking about, you know, work. Oh my God, I got a new Rolex, and my wife is really upset, <laughs> you know? And these are the people who are attending games here. I can't speak for all cities, but it's become a wealthier person's sport. It's become a sport of privilege, and with that privilege comes wanting people to behave tidily, wanting people to kind of button it up. And what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, how, for what? How? Yeah. I appreciate that we can all say that Yasiel Puig gets on our nerves sometimes, or you can say that Yasiel Puig gets on your nerves. I don't think he gets on Alex and I's nerves. We love him very much. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we we need the ability, like we need the emotional depth to be able to say it's okay that he gets on some people's nerves. Like this is yes. sports. There are people wearing other teams' jerseys. They're supposed to get on your nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, Eric Hosmer gets on my nerves. I'm not boycotting the Padres. You know, I don't want him to right. not be on a team. Kyrie Irving gets on a lot of people's nerves, but he got a max offer on the first day of free agency from the Brooklyn Nets, you know? And he <laughs> right. is, like, actually maybe more problematic in terms of the way that he gets on teammates' nerves and the way that he talks about the world and the media and what he might be trying to do. So and what he advocates for with, like, the union and that sort of thing. Yeah, like. exactly. So, like, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like we're all, we're all, I mean, it feels like the baseball world is failing a little bit in that respect, or a lot in that respect. Super. Super. I mean, think about it in like the average baseball fan is what, 50, 55? Like, oh my God, these are people who hate fun and I don't get it. And it's weird because my mom is around that age, but my mom doesn't behave that way. But again, some of it is cultural and we don't want to talk about it. Like, no one wants to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room and it's a big pink elephant. Like, what in the. All we have to do is just say, "Hey, if you don't like it, don't, 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 don't cheer for that guy." Like, yeah, yeah. it's super, super simple. Just don't, don't cheer for that guy. Um, there are players who I don't like, and I have no good reason for not liking them because sports are irrational. I get to do that, um, but I'm not out here being racist, <laughs> like, yeah. or, like, or talking about them in negative ways. It's None of it makes sense. Baseball is bizarro world. People, they it's it's like baseball fans kind of act like the original iteration of hipsters, right? Like, no, you can't like this thing I like because you don't appreciate it the way I appreciate it. I need it to be pure, and that is that is the mindset. Whereas I'm like trying to invite as many friends as I can to games. Um, I will ask a friend who I know doesn't care at all about the outcome of the game at all (laughs) because that is who you need you need to have people there who want to see players having fun you want players to be able to have fun and can i say the fact that trevor bauer is on the same side as me on this (laughs) i know 
Uh, I know. That onion headline where it's like local or man man that you disagree with made a good point. Oh no. <laughs> that's how I feel. It's so upsetting because he's made multiple good points. And one of my friends is like, you know, broken clock and whatnot. I'm like, man, we're we're hitting that more than twice now. Like <laughs> he's He's consistently right. And it's annoying. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't like him, but he's not wrong. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. That's for sure. Um, the, the other day you were tweeting about the, the black aces, the black aces club. Um, and I, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I, for the listeners who don't know, it's just the, um, black, pitchers who have won at least 20 games and it includes guys like David Price um, and CC Sabathia and and there's certainly been a steep decline in the last uh, decade or two and but I'm kind of curious who you are watching um, who you are following and hoping to like come up next whether it's to like join that club I mean there's I think there's a lot of weight to being like the the central player on the field and just like, just like, you know, black quarterbacks um, in football, it has been a massive conversation over the last few years. Um, But are there players in your mind who you are watching, who you are hoping kind of like elevate themselves to that stardom? Do you think like they're already here? Is, is Francisco Lindor like the pinnacle of what baseball could be? So like first, I want to make a little correction in that we have to stipulate that it's black American pitchers um, because obviously that the list leaves off any, you know, Latin American pitchers right. who are mm-hmm. also black. Um, and it's been so long since we had one. Um, and the decline is, it's steep. Um, one of my Twitter followers who I'm so sorry, I am forgetting his Twitter handle right now. Um, but he made a graphic showing the number of 20 game winners against the number of black American 20 game winners. And it was mind blowing. You could see the decline over the years. And obviously the heyday would be, you know, the seventies. And here we are where later we should have tons of pitchers who are up next and we don't. And at once upon a time, I tried to write a piece on black pitchers, black American pitchers in minor league. I was trying to get some of them to even talk to me about the idea that they could potentially be up next and that, you know, they are quote unquote for the culture. And I was told by quite a few editors, you know, uh, guys aren't going to want to talk about that because they feel it could affect them being called up in a negative way. Can you imagine being in a position where you feel like if I tell the truth about this very obvious thing, then I won't get the opportunity that I'm deserving. That. It, it kind of hurt my feelings for people to say that to me because this matters to me. When you have people like, you know, CC leaving the game and Adam Jones isn't even playing in America anymore, like, who who do we have? Who can we count on? And I do think there are some players who 
are coming up and are going to matter a lot. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily want it to be position players. Like we need people to care about, you know, your CJ Edwards, your Chris Archers, right? Um, these, these guys all matter and we don't hear about them enough. All we hear about is how so few of them there are. I don't really know. I, I think I can't even specify who I'm rooting for because I'm just rooting for all of them. <laughs> can someone please break through? Can, can, can someone please be the guy for, you know, black American kids to cheer for? Right. Um, Marcus Stroman actually is extremely vocal right now and I am 100% behind it. Yes. Shout out Marcus Stroman. I love him. It's it's really it's really unfortunate that it took him getting traded to the Mets for me to realize how absolutely fucking cool he is. <laughs> um I think we do a bad job of communicating how cool it is to be a major league baseball pitcher to kids, you know? Yeah. Like kids see LeBron and obviously that's really amazing. Kids see someone like Lamar Jackson and obviously that's really amazing. And you see these stars at their positions in other in other sports, but like you know, it, if you want the game to be about you, which is a pejorative that's been thrown at our generation and younger generations. I don't know a better way to do that than to be a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, you know? Right. And I, I think that's an interesting point in the in the representation of people of color in that position. You know, it's it's a league wide problem. You you put in your last article that just under eight percent of MLB players are black, but. Starting pitcher is a cool position. That's that's my advice to kids. Sorry, that's not that's not a very good take, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a pitcher, um, but I have that bias very strong. Um, especially because pitchers can be pretty swaggy if they want it to be. Like you have full command of the game. All eyes are on you for the majority of the time. <laughs> like um, that could be real cool. And a part of the reason why there aren't so many black American pitchers is the idea of the athleticism versus intelligence thing. It's continued. Yeah. Um, it's always there. People really believe it and they don't even know that they believe it. Like they, they, they spout it because they've heard it for years and it sounds right. Well, yeah, I want the more athletic guy to be in the outfield. What are you even talking about? Like, or, you know, insulting the intelligence of someone who has clearly committed themselves to playing this game, which means they know more than you, Bob. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it's upsetting. It's, it's nonsensical. Um, I, again, if, Anyone out there decides that they're just going to be the next super badass black American pitcher, they have my vote. Like, <laughs> I'm automatically buying the jersey. Yeah. Hunter Green, please come Seriously. through right now as soon yes. as you call that. That is a cool name. It's an amazing name. Oh my God. The lineage of like cool, like from Vita Blue to Hunter Green. Ugh, please. That is, I, when I first heard his name, I started thinking about how, you know, you were a cool kid if you had the big box of Crayola because that was one of the colors, like Hunter. You know, <laughs> if you just had the regular box, you just had green. Right? You think they thought like, about that when they named him? His parents? Uh, I don't know. Like, so a lot of these. That's players, the investigative story that I need you to write this year. Okay, I will find out. <laughs> I am on the case. Um, speaking of player names and coolness, this whole era 
of kids born in the 90s whose parents listen to like hip hop is mind blowing. It's super fun. Like you have kids named Raekwon and it's like, oh, I know where that's from. (laughs) So that's the other thing that we're missing out on due to racism. The next generation of very cool sports names. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm all for that. Put more that more name diversity in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have been very kind with your time. Um, I the the last thing that I think we wanted to ask you, which we're asking a lot of people, um, is what is is there a storyline that you're going to be following this year um, that you think maybe people should focus on more? Will be under talked about i mean everyone is going to be talking about the astros and like you said it's boring and i don't i'm tired of hearing about it i don't don't want to hear about it anymore but is there something that you are going to be like focusing on um that you think will be undercovered or underreported so i kind of mentioned this earlier right but i think my storyline that i'm going to be following is the mariners um oh they 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 haven't been in the playoffs in what almost twenty years. Yeah. Is it what is it like eighteen now? Yeah, it was two thousand two, right? Two thousand one. It, uh, it was long <laughs> enough ago that you're trying to figure it out. Like that is wild to me. And then now they have all these black players, right? Like, and I'm really excited to see that. I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, give it a rest. But come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that 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 you see and I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. Yeah, well, it's also like I think when there are when there are no stakes on a team, like it becomes so much more fun to watch, I think, because it doesn't feel like every game is like make or break and though and those feel like the the moments in which players can really shine because they're they're relaxed and and if you're not like I mean I'm sure they're going to compete for a division title and even though I'm an Ace fan I'm I would be happy to see them do well um but when when teams aren't expected to be good I think it just elevates the the fun factor by multitudes Oh for sure I mean I just I'm 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 excited a because I don't root for them. Um, so it, it's always nice to watch a team that you have no emotional connection to. Um, but when there's an added fun factor, right? Like if they're good, great. If they're not good, okay. There's hella reasons why yeah, not to watch D Gordon for 162 <laughs> games. Like right. that's fun. It's if I just think it's they're going to be a good story to watch, and I don't think a lot of people will be talking about them until late in the season. Should they make waves, it'll be one of those situations where you know they've been ignored all season because everyone's still talking about the Astros, um, and they'll just be overlooked until it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Well, five minutes ago you said that we need better baseball names. And then you said that the thing you're most excited for is the Mariners. And here are some names on the Mariners. Shed Long, D. Gordon, Malik Smith, Justice Sheffield. These are all great baseball names. You've stayed very on brand with this answer. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I am who I am. I get. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we have taken more time than we said we would out of your day. We want to thank you so much for joining us, Shakia. This has been great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you again to Shakia Taylor. Alex, thank you to you for doing a pod with me. I don't know. Oh my God, Bobby, thank you for having me on. This is such a blast. We should do this more often. Can you imagine if you weren't a regular co-host and I was just monopodding? <laughs> you think I could do it? Hold on, wait, let me, I think- let me try. I've been listening to a lot of Francesa this week. I'm sorry to everyone who heard me say that. I want to hear what the older generation thinks about the Astros. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you should introduce me as a guest every time you start the podcast, you know? You're just like an um, every week guest? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and joining me this week, once again, is Alex Baisley. Thanks for coming on. Francesca had this great bit this week. where Jesus he was like, Christ, Bobby, you're in too deep. <laughs> where he was just like, it was fun for like the first five minutes, and then the other 25 minutes of the segment, it got a little, a little boring, but I guess that's literally what drive time radio is. Yeah. Where he was just like, if you're the Yankees, why are you want? Why are you want? You're the New York Yankees. What are you whining for? He's like taking calls, and he's like, Mike, I don't know. I just feel like they should feel a little cheated. You know, they lost. What? What if they could have won one nothing, Mike? And, and Mike's like, they didn't score any runs. What are you whining for? It wasn't. <laughs> Dude, this is a great Mike friend Dude, impression. I've been working. I just on want it. to say that. Yeah, I've been working yeah, on it. It'll, it'll come the, out the during pauses, the season. The pauses are really crucial. Oh, the pauses are not long enough. It'll be like, if you're the New York Yankees, what do you want it for? <laughs> I'm going to bring that out during the season when it's appropriate. But um, for now, this has been a long podcast, and we hope that you have enjoyed it. If you're a new listener, um, we'd really appreciate if you subscribe, told a friend, continue to listen, rate and review any of those nice things. We do stuff like this a lot. We'll be having a fun preview series coming up before the baseball season starts. Um with some other really great guests like Shakia. So uh, we're looking forward to talking about this baseball season in ways that aren't just filtered through an Astros lens. And it's about time that we start doing that. So hell yeah. Yo, uh, drop us some listener questions too. Yeah. Just, uh, just DM us, DM us something, make requests for what you want to hear Bobby say in a Mike Francesa voice. We're, we'll do that now. So if you want to hear Bobby as Mike Francesa talk about his ranking of Taylor Swift songs like yes. do it let's go if you're a listener tipping pitches and you're not submitting questions I got one question for you why <laughs> I can't anymore thank you for listening <laughs> thanks for joining us all uh, we'll be back next week I'm